testimonies tonight. We thank you for the visitors and the great attendance this morning. We thank you that we can see just a little fruit of what people are doing in their lives. You are working to bring others. We just thank you for answered prayers. We thank you for your protection and watch care over us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's take our Bibles and one more time to the book of Titus. And if all goes well, we will finish uh, this series that we started last spring on the Pauline epistles. Paul was writing, and we've called this To My Sons, Timothy and Titus. These two letters, three letters actually, two to Timothy and one to Titus. And... uh, he is giving Titus just literally a, a list of things. Uh, Titus is a very short book, but boy, the information that is in this book is just uh, incredible. He wants him to set in order the things that are wanting, what is lacking in these churches in Crete. Uh, he is supposed to teach them to speak the things which become sound doctrine, and he gives instruction to the different groups in the church, how we ought to behave because we are to adorn the gospel of God. You know, uh, I've heard this verse quoted many times uh, out of the, the book of Samuel where it says that God looks not on the outward appearance but on the heart. And I've, had, I've heard many people quote that totally out of context. He was telling Samuel not to judge by the outward appearance, but to judge by in the heart. But that's because God is the only one that can judge what's in the heart. Man has to judge by the outward appearance. And if our Christianity is not right before the world in which we live. Now, we've got to use God's definition of right, not theirs. Uh, but if our Christianity is not right before the world in which they live, what are they going to think of our God? That's what Paul's telling Titus here. And he says, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, but being, uh, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. But after that... The kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, 
And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which believe in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is an heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject, knowing that he is such, is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. And when I shall send Artemis unto thee, or Tychicus, be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis, for there have I, I have determined... I'm sorry. For I have determined to uh, determine there to winter. Bring Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their journey diligently, that nothing be wanting unto them. And let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. All that are with me salute thee. Greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. Now, this is the last chapter of the book of Titus. And uh, Paul is really just running through this list of things. And he's, he's trying to give Titus the things that he needs to get the churches in Crete doing what they ought to do. And he says, put them in mind. Now, there's a, a lot of different phrases that we use today. But... What he's saying is, I want them to understand that these are things they must do if they're going to serve Jesus Christ. Now, here's what they are. Number one, toward government. It says, be subject to principalities. Now, principalities are sometimes referred to uh, in an angelic or a spiritual realm, but here it's talking about the physical realm. Uh, and, and a principality is a, an area, a, a place of authority. It's the, um, a person or a government in high position. The government was the government of Rome, was it not? They controlled Crete. There would have been a Roman governor on the island at this time who would have been in charge uh, of what was going on, and then all the way down to the mayor and the trash collector, the police officer, the local thing. He's saying, now listen, you've got to be in mind, you've got to have it in your mind to be subject or to obey the principalities. You know, sometimes we get this idea, and I've had different people over the years try to explain this to me, that... When a government does something wrong, then we're under no obligation to obey the government. Is that what it says right here? No, it says to be subject to principalities. Uh, I believe our government is wrong in taking all these taxes. I really do. But you know what? I'm going to be subject to the principalities and we're going to pay taxes. You know why? Because it's right. Now, they're not taxing the church yet, praise God. Uh, but we have to collect sales tax. Now, I think of the, uh, uh, the little pittance we sell at our bookstore. 
that it's absolutely ridiculous to have to do all of these things. But guess what? It says to be in mind, to be subject under principalities and powers and magistrates, to obey magistrates. I mean, we, we need to have a good testimony with our government. It's important. Obey the laws that are before us. Do not use this book called the Bible as an excuse to break laws. This is what the Bible is telling us. The second part of this is to be ready to every good work. Now, there's an awful lot of good works out there. There's things that we can do and and we should. And so, we must be ready to do what is good. What was the testimony that was given of Jesus? It says, He went about doing good. This is the way Christians ought to be. Let's have the right mind of a Christian to speak evil of no man. Now, that does not mean that when someone stands up and does evil, we're not to call that sin, sin. What it's talking about here is character defamation and gossip and all of these things that go on today. Let's not be known about that. Do you ever meet somebody? And you knew the next thing out of their mouth was going to be, did you know that so-and-so, I mean, they're just going to, they're just going to tell you every rotten thing that they know. Boy, I I already know enough rotten stuff about enough rotten people. I don't need to know anymore. How about you? Uh, That's what this is saying. Speak evil of no man. And by the way, uh, this little thing that people use It says you better listen close the first time because I'm not a gossip. I'm not repeating it. Uh, Some of you got that. Listen, it's speak evil of no man. Don't pass it on. You don't have to tell everybody everything you know. Amen? And it says to be no brawlers. And I know some preachers. I like the way Brother Clayton puts it. He says, I believe what they believe. He says, I'm just not mad about it. You know, we don't have to be looking for a fight all the time. You're going to have plenty just trying to serve the Lord. Amen. And so these are the things that are in the right mind, but gentle, showing all meekness. Unto all men. Now, how many people remember who the meekest man in the Bible was or is? Say it out loud if you know it. Moses, there we go. Now, putting his finger in Pharaoh's face and saying, Let my people go. Meekness. Dividing the Red Sea. Meekness. Watching Pharaoh's army get drowned in the Red Sea. Meekness. Telling Dathan and Abiram if they die the common death as all men. That God had not sent him. But if, the, if God made a new thing and the earth opened up her mouth and received them alive into the pit. 
and the earth did it. Meekness. You say, wait, wait, wait a minute, that's not meek. No, yes it is. Do you want me to tell you when Moses wasn't meek? Was when he went up on the rock the second time in Numbers 20, and he smote the rock twice. He was not being meek there. Because the word meekness means to go in the authority of another. So as long as Moses was acting under the authority that God gave him, he was being meek. When Moses stepped out from under that authority and did what Moses wanted to, he was being weak. And he did not enter the promised land because he did not sanctify the Lord God in the sight of the children of Israel because he struck the rock twice. When it says, showing all meekness unto all men, we are to treat other human beings under the authority and direction of Almighty God. Now, some people think God's waiting in heaven with hot lightning bolts just to send them down and fry anyone who steps out of the way. That's not the God of the Bible. What is the God of the Bible? He is long-suffering toward us, word, not willing that any should perish. Could we show some meekness toward other people? Do you think God would want us to be as patient with other people as he is with us? Whoa. Uh, That's meekness. Amen? That is following under God's authority. Don't ever back up on the Bible. We have all this spirit of compromise and, and, and in our day and say, well, we just need to agree on the main things. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? But I'm sorry. This book is the main thing. And when you say you can use other versions of the Bible, I'm sorry, we, that's stepping over the line. That is stepping out from under the authority of God. When you want to tell me that God made 57 variety of churches and they're all the same, when they all do exactly the opposite things of one another, uh, that's stepping out from under the authority of God's Word. It's not so hard to keep the lines where they ought to be if we'll let God draw the lines. Amen? And so, we have got to be gentle, showing meekness unto all men. But we never compromise on what the Bible teaches. We don't compromise on the Bible. We don't go to the world and ask the world to help us get more people in the doors. We don't go to the world and take their misfits and their rejects and people that can't make it in the world and say, come and be our musicians for us. That's what contemporary Christian music is all about. It's a bunch of losers. It's a bunch of people who cannot make it in secular music. But... 
them Christians, they'll buy that slop. Because every one of them that's been able to make the transition has done it. They've gone to the world. The Blackwood brothers, the Statler brothers, they all started out as gospel quartets. Now they're singing dirty, filthy country songs. Uh, who, uh, the little darling, Amy Grant was her name. She started out in contemporary Christian music. But when they allowed her to do Amy Grant's rockin' New Year's Eve, let me tell you, it wasn't Christian. It was contemporary. We cannot go there. That's not being meek. Showing meekness is being under the authority of another. And if we're going to do that... We're going to have to have the right mind. Now, Paul gives our past here. He said, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Now, that's a pretty good description of what your life was before Jesus saved you now, isn't it? I mean, there's an awful lot out there that's just deceived. People aren't necessarily doing these things because they want to, but they just think that they're doing the best that they can. We were sometimes foolish in disobedience. We thought that what was really important is not important at all. And we thought the things that really have no meaning, no value whatsoever were the most important things in our life. Have you seen God reorder your values? He will if you will let Him. It says, Serving divers lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy. Somebody said, uh, that, uh, the world has a phrase, you got to keep up with the Jones. Brother Jones at Cleveland Baptist informed me that we've passed the Jones. Um, I'm trying to think. They, they had five boys and one girl or something like that. He said, I want you to know that you've passed the Jones. We always stay at their house when we go there. But this idea of always trying to compare ourselves with other people, that's the way the world lives. Should the Christians live like that? It says this is the way we used to live before. You, you want to talk about hate. Boy, just turn on the news and listen to what's going on in the political realm today. I mean, the, the hatred and the vitriol is, is just so, so beyond. And yet, it just keeps going. And, and we have a new group of haters out there. They're, they're really interesting. Is they accuse us Bible-believing people of being narrow-minded and hateful. But boy, do they hate us. Oh, my. Have you ever met one of those? And there's a lot of them. And they're growing. There's more today. That's the way the world lives. I just look at them and say, you know something? I'm an independent Baptist. We've never started a war. We've never taken weapons against any other human being. That's not what our church and our religion, that's not our history. 
We're the ones that everyone's... Per- you want to talk about persecuted people groups. I said, Let, let's talk about the history of the Bible-believing Christians. The Romans persecuted us, and no sooner did the Romans be uh, uh, were destroyed than the new Roman Christians, the Roman Catholic Church that emerged, began persecuting the Christians. Uh, uh, and even today, I'm glad I'm not a Protestant. Protestants have fought wars. Catholics have fought wars. The Orthodox Church has fought wars. Islam is fighting a war, if you don't know about it, uh, and have been for the last 40, 50 years. Actually, they have been since 600 A.D. Uh, it's just that they didn't have very much power in, in recent history, but uh, they are getting it and they are fighting. By the way, how many of you knew the Mormons had fought wars? You ought to study the history of the Mormon church. It's a bloody, vile history. They took a wagon train that was going through Mormon territory and massacred every man, woman, and child on that wagon train. You can't find that story in a modern history book. And uh, they got afraid of the United States government because they had seen what the United States government had done to the Indians. And they saw what they had done to Santa Ana and the the Mexicans and others that stood in their way. And so uh, when the government showed up and said, you're going to have to change this polygamy thing and a few other things before we accept Utah as a state, you better believe they said yes. But if you think for one minute the Mormon church has backed up on any of its doctrines or any of its things, uh, you've got something else coming. Because they're not. This is the way the world lives. Hating one another and hateful. But look at verse 4. But after that, after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Saying there, there was a time when people lived this way. Said, but there's something new. It's called the love of God. It's called the kindness of God. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. This is what God did for us. We were all of these things, and anybody that got saved... Uh, later in life, you were right there. All of these things, this is what people... And by the way, you don't have to be 45 to be hateful. I've met some little kids that are just full of hatred. It's a scary thing. But the problem was not solved by works of righteousness, which we have done. Here's how it was solved. His mercy. He saved us. He washed us in the blood of Jesus Christ and renewed us by the Holy Ghost that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is what God 
wants to do in our lives. Amen. And he's telling Titus, you explain to these people on the island of Crete. Remember, you go back to chapter 1, they're slow bellies, they're liars. They're, uh, there's a lot of bad things on the island of Crete. And he says, but you tell them about the kindness and love. You tell them it's not according to works of righteousness which we have done, but it's His mercy. He's washed us. He has done these things. He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. He said, you were these things, but now you're saved. That was your past. Now, let's talk about the present. This is, verse 8, a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. This is something Christians ought to do. By the way, what are good works? It's not just helping little old ladies across the street. But let me tell you, you ought to be the first one in line to help a little old lady across the street. Amen? You ought to be the first in line to do some of these things, but keeping up with your daily Bible reading, is that a good work? Being in church, is that a good work? Can I say giving to missions, is that a good work? There's lots of good things out there. Get calls all the time. Will you give to? No, I give through my church. Oh. Well, don't you have anything left over? No, I don't. I'm sorry. I really don't. And if they press the mark, I say, listen, I've got nine kids at home that i got to feed and three in college. Oh. Okay, understand. And they hang up the phone eventually. Listen, we need to maintain good works. When they see you in public, should you be the one that tramples over everybody to get first in line through the toll booth? Can we be a little less aggressive in some of the things that we do? And I know, find in a parking spot. That's hard to do. But let's be careful to maintain good works. Amen? And that doesn't mean you have to give it up to everybody else. But uh, let's not... Uh, uh, no Christian ought to be giving sign language out the windows. And You heard the story about the uh, lady who was trying to drive and... Uh, the guy stops short in front of her and she's cussing and honking the horn and waving her hands out the window doing all kinds of things. All of a sudden, a police officer walked up and said, step out of the car, please. And she went, what? And he says, excuse me, just step out of the car, please. And so he steps out of the car and puts her in handcuffs, takes her down to the police station and, and uh, about... Ten, fifteen minutes later, he comes walking in. He says, ma'am, I'm sorry. I'm terribly sorry. He said, I, I saw your little fish 
on the back of your car and the I Love Jesus bumper sticker and follow me to Sunday school. And he said, your behavior, he said, I, I knew you had stolen that car because of all the things that you were doing. He said, I, I apologize terribly. He said, uh, I, I did not mean to, but I just never have known anyone who's claimed to be a Christian act that way. It's a joke. But we, we need to be careful to maintain good works. You see, these things are good and profitable. Look at verse 9. Avoid foolish questions. Avoid genealogies. I know some Baptist pastors who, you know, if you weren't baptized by somebody who's baptized by somebody who's baptized by somebody who's baptized by John the Baptist, you're not a real Christian. Now, how in the world they get that genealogy, I don't know. But let me ask you a question. If you have that genealogy and you're not obeying the Bible, does it do you any good? I met a guy in Xenia, Ohio, 1986. He had the genealogy. Next thing I knew, he was talking to me about Calvinism, a limited atonement. And I'm sitting here looking at the guy, and of course, I was a little younger back then. Uh, That was probably good for him and for me. Uh, But the simple truth of the matter, I just asked him, I said, how in the world do you get a New Testament baptism from John and a theological point that comes from the Middle Ages? I said, that doesn't match, my friend. Genealogies don't prove anything. It's the Word. It's the Word that proves. So don't sit there and argue. Now, I believe my, my responsibility as a pastor, I was sent out from the Cleveland Baptist Church. You know what? My preacher, Roy Thompson, preached the truth. That's the end of my responsibility. Now, I know Cleveland Baptist Church was started out of the Akron Baptist Temple, but that has no bearing on me whatsoever. Amen? Now we have Brother Hiram Davis organizing the Cornerstone Bible Baptist Church out of Open Door Bible Baptist Church. And we're looking forward to booting uh, Mike and Kelly out of here to start another church. You know what? That's what it's about. Amen? If you want to worry about your genealogy, worry about what's going forward, not what's going back. And let's keep moving here. It says, and contentions and strivings about the law. I have met people that all they want to do is argue about somebody else's understanding of the Bible. Now, when I was a young preacher, I used to think it was my job to win every argument. And you know what? I can, I can do it. In my shy, timid, thumb-sucking way, I can win that argument. But here's what Jesus said, avoid it. You don't have to be involved in contentions. 
Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest they'll be also like unto him. Guess what? You lose. Don't answer a fool. Just don't get in the conversation in the first place. It says, a man that is an heretic after the first and ad- second admonition, reject. Not burn at the stake, by the way. Not torture until they recant. That's how you can tell the difference between false religion and true religion. And uh, the, the simple thing is, you believe the Bible, you meet somebody, and they're going to argue. I remember one guy came in, he says, uh, uh, what do you say when you baptize people? I said, I quote the Bible. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, do you baptize people in Jesus' name? I said, uh, I think that qualifies. No, no, you've got to say in Jesus' name. I said, no, no, you've got to get out of here. You're not going to like this church. You see, don't waste your time with somebody that's got their mind made up to be a nut. Just try to get them screwed onto a different bolt. Amen? Uh, we, we just don't have time to play games. It's the end days. You're not going to straighten out a heretic. Let him go be that somewhere else. Because... It says, after the first and second, I talk to anybody. But after the second time, they're still going to persist in this foolishness. They can persist somewhere else by God's grace. Amen? And uh, uh, it says, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. Let them condemn themselves and let them move on. And he says here, this, this is our present. This is what we are to do. You're not going to straighten out everybody. What you're looking for is the people who want to be straight. The people who want to serve. And then we struggle together. He says, when I shall send Artemis... Unto you, Articus, be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis, for I have determined there to winter. And Paul is saying, listen, Titus, as soon as I send you some relief, I want you to come and spend the winter with me. So, uh, understand that God's work is going to be done in God's time by God's men, but you're not going to be the only one that gets it done. God has other people that are just as capable. Be where you're supposed to be. Amen? And then he says, Bring Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey diligently. Now this is something that we try to do as a church. When we have someone come in, we want to take care of them. We want to be good to the missionaries and to the preachers. That travel through our church. Now, there's been some times where we've had some people in, and before it was all over, I'm going, 
Lord, help me to be a little more careful next time. Uh, It just happens. But we've got Brother Clayton coming in next week. Now, we don't, let me just explain how this works. We don't have to take up a special love offering under normal circumstances to be good to the preachers because when you give your tithe, there's enough for our, our church to be very good to the visitors that come through. That's how it works. I've, to, I've been given advice, take up a special offering. Well, we've taken up special offerings and we have never received enough in the special offerings to be good to the speakers that come through. So, why burden the people who are already giving and make other people feel guilty when if you'll just give, we'll be able to do what we do without making a big deal about it. Amen? It's always good to bless the men of God. By the way, maybe this is a good time to talk about this just very quickly. Uh, We have that home missions conference at Buckley Road this week, and there's going to be opportunities for our church to give. And uh, I would just uh, like permission to, we have uh, our missions fund, our regular missions fund, just so you know where it is, is $275 in the red right now. We wrote all of our checks, and it's that's where it is, but we'll make that up, I'm pretty sure. But our Never the Same, the music publishing, we have uh, a little over 3,000, almost 3,500 in that account. And uh, I'd like to take about 1,200 out of that account to the Home Missions Conference in Buckley Road for our church to give away. Is that all right with everybody? Okay. And so we will do that and try to be a blessing to the other pastors that are there. And uh, I was talking with Brother Hiram Davis, and uh, uh, I noticed that his preaching Bible has fallen apart. And so I talked to him at his ordination. Uh, I I would like our church to buy him one of these. Uh, This is about 185 dollar Bible, but it it is the best that you can get, and it lasts a long time, and it stays together, and uh, I would like our church to get one of those uh, for Brother Davis for his ordination, something for him to remember, something for him personally. Uh, He would never, at this point in his ministry, I remember when I was starting out, trying to buy a nice Bible was like, you know, can we do without... uh, can we do without food this week so I can <laughs> save up some money? I mean, it was rough. But, uh, I, you know, I want our church to be a blessing. And to stand behind those people that God has sent our way. Amen? It says to do that. And it said, let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. You know, it takes an awful lot just to live here in New York City, doesn't it? It takes a lot of work just to survive. It says, be careful. 
It says, learn to maintain good works for necessary uses. You know what that's saying? Pay your bills. Because if you're not paying your bills and you're not taking care of things the right way, you're going to become unfruitful in your service to God. I know many people that have wrapped themselves in debt and other things and they can't give the way God says to in the Bible and they can't do this and they can't do that. Boy, that's a place you don't want to be. Let's be careful to maintain good works for necessary uses so that we don't become unfruitful in our service for the Lord. Amen? The hardest thing to do is to live today. It's easy to live for ten years from now, now, isn't it? When I get, when I grow up, I'm going to be a fire truck, right? Um, whatever that might be. But listen, you're already grown up, my friend. You don't have time to do it over again. You got to live. Today. That's the tough part. That's what it means. Be careful. Learn to maintain good works for necessary uses. Now we get to the end. Paul says, listen, all that are with me salute you. He said, everybody I know is praying for you, Titus. They're behind the work that you're doing. Greet them that love us in the truth, in the faith. He says, you tell the, the people that are there with you, that love us in the faith, that are doing the right thing, that have the right heart, you tell them we send greetings. Grace be with you all. Unmerited favor. It's the only way you're going to live. It's the only way you get saved. It's the only way you're going to survive is God's grace. Amen. And then the last word is amen. And we have finished this series. It's been a while. And they say, what are you going to do on Sunday nights now? Well, Brother Clayton's preaching next Sunday night. Amen. We'll figure something out. Uh, but we got a couple of weeks. And so let's just take God's Word and let's live it. Let's let our church be ordered, as Paul told Titus, to order the churches in Crete. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your goodness to us. We ask now that you would bless our prayer time, and Lord, that you would bless this church, that we may serve thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, we'll take just a moment if you need to slip out and pray.